Welcome to the Real Estate Explainer Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kazula. Today, we've got Carlos Gonzalez on the episode, and we'll be talking about how to calculate the cost basis of real estate. We see investors leave tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of depreciable basis on the table every single day. Let's jump right into the episode. Hey, Carlos, just wanted to say thanks for jumping on the podcast today. I think today's subject is super important for anyone who owns commercial real estate or investment property. I see time and time again, investors will literally miss out on tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars in depreciation because they set up their fixed asset schedule incorrectly. And they do this because they really don't understand the cost basis or how to calculate the cost basis of real estate. And they don't understand how to allocate the correct land allocation. Uh, Just want to say again, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me, Carlos. Carlos is uh, my counterpart in San Diego. He is another cost segregation professional. And I just wanted to introduce you, Carlos, if you'll just jump in and say hello. Yeah, I know. Excited to be here, man. I know that we've been talking about the uh, real estate explainer for a while. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that, you know, that, that we're doing this and that, and that, um, you know, you've, you've done uh, some interviews as well. That's uh, pretty cool, man. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's yeah. jump right in. Yeah. So, you know, you've probably experienced the same thing where you've reviewed a client's fixed asset schedule after they've placed the property in service and probably have cringed because their CPAs have allocated. I don't know, sometimes upwards of 80% of the value of the asset to land. And guys, land is a non-depreciable asset. You know, have you had any projects that you've looked at recently that have had that? As a matter of fact, yes. And this was probably a conversation that I had yesterday with uh, the client and his CPA, but it was the other way around. It was, uh, it was, they were automatically just by rule of thumb allocating 80% to the building and uh, 20% to land. And they were asking me, they're like, hey, how how are, how familiar are you with this 80-20 rule? And I'm like, what 80-20 rule? And it's like, yeah, that's the standard. I'm like, I had no idea. But I guess, you know, some people go that route. So I actually, I've seen it recently, but the other way around. Yeah. And guys, when I'm talking to CPAs, some CPAs will use a rule of thumb. I was at a conference up in uh, Washington, D.C. just a couple of weeks ago. We had a few senior level uh IRS engineers there. And I'll tell you, the rule of thumb method is typically the very last way they're looking at. And I've heard that across, you know, across the country, you know, a CPA will say, hey, I allocate 10% to the land on every every property, or I allocate 20% to the land on every property. And I'll tell you guys, that is just the incorrect way to do it. And, you know, we'll go ahead and start out by looking at the cost basis of real estate. So When you're purchasing the property, you're purchasing an asset, you need to calculate your cost basis correctly. And the way that you would do that is you would just open up the IRS publication 551 and you can click on, it's right on the right-hand side, it's page two, it'll drop you down to real estate and it will tell you how to calculate the cost basis. So what you're going to do just to kind of, you know, make it easy for you is you're going to take your acquisition costs. So how much did you buy that property for? Did you buy that property for a million dollars? So you're buying the property itself, the land, and then all the improvements, the building, all the improvements for a million dollars. So in addition to that, you can take closing costs 
and add that on to the, the cost basis. Now, you can't take closing costs that are associated to the loan. So you can't take points. You can't take prepaid interest. You can't take prepaid taxes. You can't take right. the appraisal or an underwriting fee, but you can take all of the cost as if you paid cash for the property. So all of a sudden that $1 million might be, I don't know, $1,010,000, let's say, the cost basis. And I'll tell you, every penny counts when it comes to depreciation. So adding uh, the closing cost, it, it may be an important factor. Then if you make improvements to the property, so let's say that you go in and you build out a couple of offices, let's say in a warehouse, or you remodel the inside of a restaurant, well, you're not going to expense those items. They most likely need to be capitalized. So you're going to have to run what's called the bar test. Is it a betterment, an adaptation, or a restoration? It's not any of those items. Chances are it's a repair and maintenance item. And repair and maintenance items can be expensed in the year that you incurred them. Everything else needs to be capitalized. So you'd capitalize those improvements that you've made to the property. I get uh, questions on all the time as we work with, let's say, contractors or builders across the country. And they'll say, hey, you know, I spent, I don't know, 40 hours a week for, you know, 10 weeks remodeling this property. Can I include my labor, my personal labor into the cost basis? And yeah. you'll see right in publication 551 that you cannot include your own personal labor, but you can include any labor that you paid for. So if you've paid for guys to come out and do work on the property, you could include that in the cost basis. So I see this time and time again, where owners of the property, they don't let's say accurately track their total cost when they're purchasing the property. So I would say step number one is keep super detailed records. What did you purchase the right. property for? So you're going to have your purchase contract and you're going to have the closing statement. And I'll just pull Carlos in. So Carlos, have you um, experienced a situation where an owner doesn't have a closing statement, has no idea where their purchase contract is, and then they're trying to do a cost segregation study? Like they're oh, yeah. missing documents? Yeah, all the time. All the, uh, we we have a client that he recently sent us, I don't know, like 50, 60. Um, uh, he, it's, it was a combination of duplexes and single family homes. And the guy was clueless. You know, he's like, I don't know how much, you know, I pay for this. And uh, what he was sending us is he was sending us an Excel sheet with estimated values for the properties. And, uh, you know, once we started digging deeper and asking for more and more documentation, you know, there was probably like a 30% difference between his estimated value and, and what the purchase price actually was. So that's what, one of the key what I think, reasons. Yeah, what Carlos is hitting on is ARV. A lot of guys will come and say, hey, this is the current market value of the property after we did our rehab on it. We're going to go ahead and claim that and depreciate it. Guys, that is not the way to depreciate property. Right. The IRS, go back to IRS publication 551, it's the cost basis. So what did you actually pay for it? And if you're involved in an audit situation and you get an IDR, an information document request from the IRS, what they're asking for is they're going to say, show me the purchase contract, show me the closing statement, show me any of the uh, expenses or I should say expenditures, any capital expenditures you've made on that property so they can see what the actual cost is. That'll give them the place to start when they're looking at your property, whether you're doing a cost segregation study or you're just involved in a general audit. So this is super critical. What Carlos just said, 
said is absolutely, uh, you know, I see it all the time. It's something that's super yep. common. Clients yeah. will send over an Excel spreadsheet and then they'll get, a, let's say, a little frustrated if we ask for the documents. What we're doing is we're trying to protect you. We know what the exactly. IRS is going to ask for when you're depreciating the property. So we're going to ask for it up front. And I would recommend that you use a program like Monday, Asana, Dropbox, whatever type of data storage software you can use that you're creating an individual file for that property and documenting everything. Because again, you know, this real estate, this acquisition that you made, it's its own business. And you really have to treat it that way. Uh, just like you would treat, uh, let's say, any other business expense that you have throughout the year, you're probably going to have an accountant, a bookkeeper, somebody keeping track of every single purchase you made on your credit card. And that's really what, what you know, we're going to need. And uh, in case of an audit, the IRS is going to request, request as well. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, U.S. Tax Advisors Group, a cost segregation company. If you're interested in cost segregation studies, log on to realestateexplainer.com and click the cost segregation link at the top of the page. The key thing here is that we're trying to protect the client. And, you know, in many cases, you know, they're, they're thinking that we're leaving money on the table that they're not being able to take advantage of. But the reality is that it's for protection purposes. That's essentially the bottom line. All right. Now, here's the next uh, topic on this uh, call or conversation is it it's, you know, again, it's leaving tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in depreciation on the table when it comes to depreciating your real estate. And it always, not always, but a lot of times it comes down to the land allocation. So land allocations are critical because land is a non-depreciable asset. You have to carve that out at the top. So once you identify your cost basis before any improvements are made, you're going to have to subtract out that land allocation. So whether, you know, some people say, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's land. Like Carlos said, it's, uh, you know, we use a rule of thumb method to calculate it. And the IRS is not going to take that. Rule of thumbs just don't work. Right. And the reason why is because picture where Carlos is at in San Diego, you've got a uh, hotel on the beach in Pacific Beach. You're not going to give that hotel or that land a land allocation of 10% or 20% rule of thumb. It's most likely going to come in at 50% or higher of that total acquisition cost just because of the scarcity of land in yes. San Diego. Yeah, and that, that was the exact scenario. You know, the client, uh, the uh, per the uh, county tax assessor records, the improvements were coming in at 15%. And yeah. he's like, yeah, my, my CPA said that I should, you know, use the 80-20 rule. And he was asking me about it. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, you guys tell us what that is. This is not something that we do for you guys. We're not land appraisers. So you guys have to give us that information. So that was exactly the case. And I'm like, I think it's very aggressive that we're going, you know, you know, that you guys are trying to go this route, especially if because it's a property here in California, the improvements are coming in at 15%. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to show on the county tax assessor's records. So there's about six court cases that out that are out there that set precedent when it comes to land allocations. I'm not an appraiser, so I'm not going to appraise your land and tell you what the value is, but I'm going to give you six methods that are, you know, they've been settled. So there's a precedent in court and it shows, you know, it shows valid ways to calculate land allocations. And Carlos just hit, you know, one of the ones that we'll look at right off the top is it's uh, the county tax assessor's records. What does the county show? 
And there was a court case, I think it was actually in California, the Conroe office building case. And that's exactly what, you know, what the IRS challenged the land allocation. It went to court and it was settled. And it said that, hey, if the county tax assessor says that the, the land allocation should be at 35% and you use 35% to set up your fixed asset schedule, that's a valid method. The only caution I would say with, uh, with the county tax assessor's records is we do cost segregation studies across the United States. And I know that not all counties have the best data when it comes to land allocations. I'll uh, go over right. an example in a second. But a lot of them do, you know, in San Diego, it might be right on the money. You know, certainly there's areas in Alabama that are, that are pretty spot on. Sometimes when you get in these, you know, let's say a unique area that's outside of a major area, major market center or metropolitan area, the county doesn't always do the best job because they've got limited uh, resources to work with. Right. And I'm doing a study right now. I'm doing a cost segregation study on a property in just in uh, Colorado, and the the CPA came back with a 75% land allocation. This was on a $1.5 million purchase. So the client acquired a $1.5 million building. The county showed a 75% land allocation. So that's what the CPA listed for the land allocation. Uh, It was $1,125,000 to the land, and then $375,000 for the the improvements. So this is the road, the building, all of the improvements at $375,000. And I can tell you, there is no way that they could build the building that they had on that property for $375,000. So in this case, the, the county tax assessor's records were way off. So what I mentioned to the client, I said, hey, there's six methods. The IRS is always gonna favor getting an appraisal letter. So if you have an appraiser that's going to issue a letter on the value of the property, that would be the best way to go. Keep in mind though, that most people aren't going to spend the thousand dollars or the $1,500 to have an appraiser give an appraisal letter just for the land. Keep in mind that on the appraisal that you get, if you're taking a loan, when you purchase the property, that more times than not, the appraiser is simply using the county tax assessor's record because they're not doing a cost approach. That's just not Mm -hmm. usually what they do. So the appraiser may not list the correct land allocation. You have to double check that unless you hire them specifically to appraise the land. So that's going to be the best way to do it. The next way that I would recommend is the county tax assessor's record. That's certainly a valid way to go. And if that doesn't work, what I would recommend doing is looking at replacement cost new. And there's uh, variations to replacement cost new, but essentially that's what we do when we're doing a cost segregation study. We're looking at your property. We're rebuilding all the site improvements, the road, the driveway, any signage, any uh, site buildings, and then the main building, the structure and all of its components. Based on that, we know what it's going to cost to rebuild the property. So what I did on the client in Colorado is I took a look at the, I asked them to provide me a copy of the purchase contract and any offer information they had on the property, any marketing pieces. So what I found is that on that specific property, 
they had allocated $275,000 of the 1.5 to equipment. So furnitures, fixtures, and equipment that were inside the building. So what we know is we can carve that right off the top. So now we're dealing with the basis of $1,225,000, and we need to figure the land allocation based off that. So I did the uh, reproduction cost new. So I rebuilt the property using or during the cost segregation study. And what I found is that about 42% would be allocated to the land because to rebuild the asset that the property had on the the property already or to rebuild the building with all of its components and site improvements would cost about $710,000. So instead of having a depreciable asset at 25% or $375,000, now we have a depreciable asset of $710,550. So all of a sudden we increased the depreciation by hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's a valid method. There's precedent that shows, you know, that there's a court case that this was settled in. And I can provide the proof that this is what it would cost to rebuild the property. So that's a valid way to calculate the land allocation and increase the depreciable basis for the client by hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the reason why this is so important is because when you depreciate your property, you can offset your taxable income by that depreciation, whether you're doing a straight line depreciation method over 27 and a half years or 39 years. And then if you do a cost segregation study, you can accelerate the depreciation on your short life assets, your site improvements, and your short life interior improvements. So it is just so powerful and so critical that you calculate the correct cost basis of your property and then your land allocation. You just really want to nail that up front. And then uh, I know I've been talking the whole time, Carlos. Go ahead and jump in. Sorry, I'm passionate about this. (laughs) And that's crucial because, um, you know, our clients have to, um, you know, do a lot of detective work whenever it comes to uh, land allocations because what we typically see is in 80% of the appraisals that they send us, you know, there's typically not a, a... cost to, well, maybe not 80%, but, you know, at least 50% of the appraisals that we get, you know, they do not include a cost approach. Whenever they do include one, you know, 80% of the time, the appraiser is just literally cutting and pasting whatever, you know, he's getting from the county tax assessor records. So we're, you know, that makes us, you know, to go back to square one. So it's very, very critical that they find the resources so that they can, and, you know, that example that, that you provided is, is the perfect example, you know? It was a, a, in the fixed asset schedule, there was the uh, land location was incorrect and we were able to significantly uh, increase the building basis and therefore provide a, a higher, there, you know, buy a larger building basis, a, a higher yield on uh, whatever the uh, client can uh, accelerate as far as appreciation goes. So, no, that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Just getting it uh, correct on the front end is so important. Right. Now, if you have a property that you've already placed into service, and you need to go back and revisit your fixed asset schedule, know that you can file the Form 3115, a change of accounting method, and correct incorrect information. That's what that document's for. It's to correct incorrect information. I've seen it. um, This is just yesterday. I had a client who provided me their fixed asset schedule, and their uh, CPA didn't list their 
investment property, their rental property on their fixed asset schedule, they listed their primary residence. The investment property wasn't even on there. It was just their primary residence. And the problem in this case is their primary residence was worth about $500,000. That's what they were depreciating. But their investment property, they purchased for $149,000. So this is a a huge problem. And it just gets back to that whole uh, piece of you really have to pay attention to your fixed asset schedule when you're filing your taxes. You can't rely on your CPA to be an expert in everything. They have such a heavy load, you know, when it comes to their job that they may not understand the land allocations on a, a property that you purchased in Tennessee when you live in San Diego, California. Right. And if you forget to provide them with the correct closing statement, like Carlos mentioned, the client didn't even have a, a closing statement. He had an Excel schedule. You know, it's just one of those things that you really have to pay attention. You yeah, want to make exactly. sure that what you're reporting to the IRS is accurate. Yeah. And, you know, on, on that topic, you know, uh, here goes one of my rants. One of the things that I see a lot is that, you know, a lot of our clients that are active real estate investors and they're out there spending millions of dollars in, um, you know, re- real estate, whether it's commercial or residential, a lot of them don't have a CPA. A lot of them do their own taxes. A lot of them uh, hire a bookkeeper, which is not a, a CPA. So, you know, we could probably do an episode on just errors and mistakes that we see, you know, every single day. Because they're not going to the uh, to the right professional, and like you just said, you know, even if you go to that professional, you got to double check your work because after you know, at the end of the day, your CPA is working for X amount of money, and they want to get to the next file so that they can collect on that particular file. So, you know, it's just a good way to you know dye your T's and and uh, no dye your eyes and and uh, cross <laughs> your T's. You know, exactly, definitely, yeah. um, you know, don't rely hundred percent on your. CPA and and it's it's funny because I, I was just talking to a client yesterday. He's coming up with the software AI bookkeeping. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> let me know how that goes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's uh, definitely something that you have to you know double check and do not rely on your CPA 100 as far as that goes. Yeah, and you know, I mean, with that said, too, is not all CPAs are created equal. Maybe they they've been doing your taxes for you know a decade, or your family is tax preparer. It's not always a bad idea to bring in outside partners. Carlos and I are cost segregation professionals. We're not tax preparers. We're not CPAs. But we do work with clients on this one very niche segment of their tax returns. And it's the same thing with some CPA professionals. They may not prepare taxes, but they'll help you with that real estate piece. And if you need a, a recommendation or a referral... You know, I'm always happy to give oh, recommendations yeah. to professionals across the country because we end up working with, you know, clients that are buying, you know, maybe they're buying apartment complexes across the country or they're an investor that solely focuses on, you know, storage units in different markets and it's just always really good to get plugged in with the the correct professional and if I know that their tax prepared preparer will, you know, you, you kind of fit their, uh, your, their model client, then yes. uh, I'm always happy to make the recommendation or referral over. One of the big misconceptions out there as well around building, and, and because I was just having a conversation with the client about this yesterday, 
he's like, hey, Carlos, you know, I bought this property last year. You know, I bought it for, I don't know, I think it was like $1.3 million. It was a single family home. But my CPA told me that it wouldn't qualify. And I'm like, but, you know, why? And he's like, because I bought, I bought it and, and, and I put it in service in 2022. So there might be some misconceptions out there that you can only do the studies on, on things that you bought on that year. Or uh, there might be some misconceptions that if you're already straight lining some of these uh, properties that you cannot do the 3115. So, there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> a significant lack of education around this topic. And that's what we're here for, you know, to Correct. provide that additional assistance. All right, we'll go to wrap this up. I think we've gone a little bit long anyways, when it comes to probably one of the, the, the boringer subjects, uh, how to calculate the cost basis of real estate and then right. how to calculate the land allocation. But I just think it's so critical. And it again, um, you know, I see investors literally leave hundreds of thousands of dollars of depreciation on the table, which means they end up paying taxes on hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxable income. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that definitely needs to be addressed. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. Carlos, if people want to get in touch with you to do a cost segregation study, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Give me a call, uh, 619-361-1996, 619-361-1996, or shoot me an email, Carlos at USTAGI.com, Carlos at USTAGI.com. Perfect. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, see you guys. Thanks, man. If you'd like to get connected with today's guest, log on to realestateexplainer.com and click the Get Connected button on the homepage. 